Welcome to the Farm Commons Podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day, providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hey all, it's Kate and I'm here with Benita. And today we are going to continue to talk about an important issue, discrimination and crop insurance policies. And for those of you who tune in regularly, this might sound a familiar topic because we did begin discussing discrimination and crop insurance policies a few weeks ago. So back in episode 54, we explored what options farmers have from a legal standpoint if they suspect they've been discriminated against while trying to purchase crop insurance. Essentially, how to pursue justice through the court system or through the Risk Management Agency's Civil Rights Office. But we know that those options might not work for some people because of time, money, fear of retaliation, etc. So we're continuing the conversation today, but we're going to shift the focus a little bit and see how people can find power outside of the legal system when responding to discrimination. And a few weeks ago, we connected with five farmers of color from around the nation to discuss what tools farmers use to do just that. Exactly, Kate. I believe that our time together felt really sacred, and especially because it can be tough to talk about discrimination, and it can be really hard to do it in a Zoom room with people you might not have a close connection with. So I'm just feeling really appreciative of everyone who showed up and shared. And while I'm super eager to explore the two tools we will highlight today, I'm going to start today off by digging a little more into the why. Why are some farming communities responding to discrimination outside of the legal system? In our earlier episode, we identified that the cost of filing a legal claim could contribute to why some farming communities use alternative tools. This is absolutely true. And I think it's also really complicated and might also be in response to real questions about safety. Historically, for many marginalized communities, creating community-based solutions in response to legally sanctioned terror and discrimination has been and continues to be a survival tactic that responds in real time to the question of how can I do what I need to survive and stay alive? Mm. Yeah, that, it's a terrifying reality and it takes a huge toll on folks. And I think it's safe to say that historically, many marginalized communities have not been able to counter discrimination without feeling the burden of anxiety, overwhelm, anger, and fear that asking questions could cause. And it's that toll, that kind of invisible cost, that some farmers must account for when asking questions like, will I face retaliation if I ask my insurance agent why I was denied a certain policy and a farmer with similar circumstances was not? Or if I ask if I can record a meeting where we are discussing crop insurance options, will I find it hard to make 
an appointment with this particular agent or organization in the future. Or even, if I file this claim about experiencing suspected discrimination, will I face physical harm? Exactly, Kate. And it's those often invisible costs that, you know, I think about a lot as the daughter of a black sharecropper and shipbuilder that was born in 1929 in the Jim Crow South. And it's those invisible costs that I think are ones our communities carry and account for when they determine how to respond to discrimination anywhere, let alone when considering how to respond to discrimination when purchasing crop insurance. And we will hear a little bit more on that later. Yeah, thank you, Benita. I really appreciate you grounding us in the why and identifying some of the invisible costs farmers account for when figuring out how to respond to discrimination and sharing a little piece of of your history. And um, you've highlighted many reasons folks may not want to use formal or legal means to counter acts of discrimination. And I think another point to make is the value of autonomy and choice. Folks deserve to have a range of options available to them so that they can respond in the way that feels most honoring to themselves and their time. And like we said, we have some non-legal options to talk about today, right? Yes, absolutely, Kate. From our conversations with farmers on this subject, we picked up on a couple of things folks are doing, more informally perhaps, and sharing information is the first of the two tools we're going to explore today that communities use to respond to discrimination. I know that information sharing can seem like an obvious tool for everyone listening. After all, many of us share our experiences and advice all the time. But I think it's important to highlight information sharing specifically in the context of risk management strategy because it can be a powerful, cost-effective, and practical tool farmers can use to make informed decisions about what programs they may want to apply for, what insurance agents they may want to use or avoid, and what they can do to identify patterns of bad behavior and respond to acts of discrimination. And as farmer Renee reminds us, it's hard to do any of these things in isolation. Let's listen in to how information sharing has helped her. I do think that the, the peer sharing, it, the information sharing, it is a great tool because uh, it usually gives you a good idea of who are good people to work with and who are like trustworthy to you know get involved with. Um, because it is hard. You don't always have a clear sign, you know, that the person is discriminating against you for various uh, protected class reasons. Um, yeah, I think like sharing information with peers, especially with, um, you know, black and people of color, it's mm -hmm. a good way to try to get information that you didn't already, you know, that you didn't have. I learned a lot from talking to other people uh, in my similar situation. And they give me good direction on where I should go. I love that the quote that Renee shares, good direction on where I should go. When farmers get together and talk, Kate, powerful things continue to happen. We need each other to be each other's guideposts. And I especially like that while farmer Renee recognizes that a complaints process is in place, that doesn't mean she'll use it. Connecting with others through information sharing is essential to how she processes and decides what to do. And that, that is powerful. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, her comments remind me of another observation that Farmer Sage shared with us. Let's tune in. I think I just want to just reiterate the importance of like, again, like building community and communicating because part of like how folks are able to get away with discrimination is that like, it's, it's very isolating. Like it isolates you and you're made to feel like you are just like, you know, making it up. Like, is it, you know, like, and so when you are able to like be in community and communicate like what's happening, like you can kind of get out of the the gaslighting that like racism and discrimination um, creates for individuals and then, you know, shed that light <laughs> on it so that other people can help you, um, you know, see what's happening. And, you know, like, yes, you did interpret it the way you were interpreting it and you're not making it up and yeah. you deserve justice. And so I just I think that that's super important. Wow. Yeah. So much wisdom from Renee and Sage there. And I love that Renee is building her legal resilience toolbox and assessing which tool makes the most sense for her. And Sage is noting the importance of community building. And I'm also noticing that both of them identified that it could be tough to identify discrimination in isolation. And as farmer Renee pointed out, Even when you know the legal basics, it can be difficult to spot discrimination while it's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, community is key. And by talking with one another, we can determine patterns of bad behavior and learn to spot when discrimination is happening. Yeah, and, and by sharing experiences, farmers can feel less isolated and more empowered. And that's what we at Farm Commons are really all about. Uh, But sometimes choosing to engage in peer information sharing can be difficult. Absolutely. You know, information sharing might be helpful for some, and others might be understandably hesitant to share information about their experiences with discrimination and crop insurance. In some farming communities, learning to, quote, keep your head down and keep your business to yourself, end quote, has been a tool that has worked for many. And the idea of information sharing can feel like an additional exposure to risk, because what if it increases some of those invisible costs like retaliation? That's totally valid. Information sharing is most effective when folks feel seen, heard, and safe enough to share. Most of the time, this sharing happens between trusted friends and in facilitated spaces at the grassroots level, like at community events those informal gatherings that happen, and religious gatherings. Sometimes, though, information sharing doesn't feel like the right choice. And when that happens, we need another strategy. This brings us to our second tool of the day, where refusing to engage with agents and or programs that demonstrate patterns of bad behavior is a tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that can be surprising to people who especially, you know, know what Farm Commons is all about because we want people to use these risk management tools. But refusing to engage with those tools is a powerful choice in itself. And some farmers may make that choice because they have experienced harm or suspect that they will experience harm or have observed harm being done. So As an example, let's listen to this observation that Farmer Sage made about how some members of her community chose not to access resources. So, you know, when you're talking about 
black elder farmers who have been disenfranchised, like, you know, from the system, from their land, not knowing how to access or how to get justice. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, it can light a fire that you're just not sure how to like actually make productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can make you really like pissed off. Um, and so, so I, it, I, and I think what was really challenging was that there were a lot of elders, you know, who had been farming, you know, for all of their lives who were in their like, you know, seventies and eighties and nineties who just gave up, mm-hmm. you know, like gave up accessing resources that were due to them accessing, you know, any of that from, you know, NRCS to USDA. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I just, I think it's, hopefully it's getting better and more useful, but I, you know, I also know that, you know, looking at things like the Pigford decision and stuff like that, like maybe it's not. Um, (laughs) So I think that it can be really hard to like, oh yeah, yeah, we know the letter of the law, but the reality is like actually getting justice still feels like super far off. Justice still feels super far off. Okay. I don't know about you, but I'm drawing a connection between the invisible costs we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the anxiety, the fear, the overwhelm, and how the elders responded in Sage's community. Mm -hmm. My heart feels so heavy. Sage is absolutely right. Justice does still feel super far off. The elders in her community deserved and still deserve justice and equitable and equal access to resources due to them, full stop and period. And I'm also noticing that in the face of injustice, black elders responded by refusing to access those resources that were due to them. And that feels powerful to me. Yeah, I'd I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit more mainly because I'm thinking that people might hear those words gave up and and associate that with a really kind of like disempowering feeling, you know? Totally understandable, Kate. I think Sage's observation is powerful because the elders choosing not to utilize resources due to them is a powerful choice and feels like a callback to the question, how can I do what I need to survive and stay alive? Mm -hmm. Their decision not to engage is not a passive decision. It's an active one that sounds like it was made in direct response to realities of injustice. Yes, yes. Thank you for for clarifying that. Um, yeah, it angers me to think of how many farmers have been and continue to be intentionally and really systematically forced out of opportunities because of the color of their skin, their gender, sexuality, ability, and ethnicity. And... I know that many farmers have made the intentional and courageous choice not to participate in a program or work with a particular agent because they might face discrimination. Um, And I still wish that didn't have to be the case. Same, Kate. Same. Farmers need justice now. Farmers need access to resources now. And when farmers decide not to use a particular program they feel is inequitable or engage with a specific agent because they suspect that person might be discriminatory, it is a courageous choice and a manifestation of their creative power at work. For example, let's imagine together that Farmer Paul is a black, small-scale beginning farmer 
who wants to reduce his vulnerability to disease and total crop failure. Now, Paul lives in a small rural town and there is only one insurance agent nearby. Paul talks to a few trusted community members like we do and learns that the agent might be discriminatory. He knows that he can meet with the agent for himself, but he is worried about the mental toll that might take on him. After a few days of considering his options, Paul decides to plant a variety of crops as a way to reduce his vulnerability to disease instead of planting a single crop. He knows this strategy will take extra time and energy, but he believes that his time and energy is better spent planting additional crops than potentially experiencing discrimination. That is a powerful choice. Yes. And what I love about that example is that Farmer Paul made an informed choice. He was aware of his options. He can purchase crop insurance or not. He's taken stock of those invisible costs like the extra time, energy, and creativity he will need in order to plant the crops. And he makes a decision that feels right for him, just like Farmer Renee. She understands the legal basics of how to file a claim, and she understands the power of information sharing. And that's, I think, really what we're trying to get at today in this episode, helping ways that listeners can understand some of the response options so that they can make powerful, creative, and informed choices when facing the reality of discrimination. Yes, 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 Kate. And today, we've only highlighted two ways that folks are finding power when facing the reality of discrimination in crop insurance. But we know, y'all, there are so many more. If it feels like a good option for you, reach out to your community and see what tools folks are using to respond to discrimination and its potential in the sale of crop insurance. Or research online to see how farmers around the country are responding. It's going to take all of us, I think, to create a world where every farmer has the authentic choice to purchase the federally subsidized crop insurance programs that are available and right for them. And we know that there's still a long way to go uh, to, to be in that future. But we are really hopeful that today's episode has helped provide each of you listening with some really powerful options outside the legal system that you can use if they feel right to you. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing. This material is funded in partnership by USDA Risk Management Agency under award number RMA22CPT0012392.